What is up, People First Leaders? Welcome to the Leading People First podcast. My name is Chris Lin, and I'm your advocate and host, helping you transform the workplace through the employee experience. I am so excited you're here and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. Thank you again so much for downloading this episode. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button, take a moment and hit subscribe. When you subscribe, you'll get every episode downloaded straight to your device once episodes go live. This podcast is available everywhere you can get podcasts like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, you name it. So again, hit subscribe and let's get straight into this week's episode. I had the honor and pleasure of getting to interview Melissa Goldner. Melissa is a principal in account management as well as the diversity and inclusion leader for Slalom Consulting's New York Metro Markets. She empowers change in organizations through its people and has been specializing in organizational and enterprise transformation, diversity and inclusion, and change management for over 15 years. She's a serial mentor mentoring over 25 women, and she sits on multiple women's leadership steering committees. And she's also a proud member of Women in America and Exceptional Women's Awardees Foundation. She also is on the board of Elm Charter School, which is an organization that's focused on building the next generation of leaders through multicultural communities. I've known Melissa for a really, really long time, and it was great to learn more about her journey. Melissa is a trailblazer, and she really led others by advocating not only for herself, but in order to pave the way for others. Now let's jump right into this interview. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. Really excited to be here. So first question I want to shoot off to you, what does leading people first mean to you? Leading people first. Um, When I think of those words together, I have a picture in my head. Um, The picture is um, a leader, a real leader is the one that stands at the bottom uplifting other people. Um, In my mind, a true leader or leading people first is actually being a servant leader. Um, So it's not so much being a a title or being your person's manager or superior, anything like that. It is actually helping the people that come after you remove those barriers for their success to be um, and, and, and to leave the world a better place or an organization a better place um, because you're helping to uplift them. Yeah, that's great. I think that, you know, for me, right, leading people first really highlights how critical leadership is for the employee experience. So what's preventing companies and organizations from really focusing on their employees and their experiences more? I think it really has to do with the culture of um, the organization um, and also potentially egos. Um, I think the things that come in between having organizations thrive and employees really feeling engaged um, is truly the true definition of leadership. Um, A lot of times, um, many leaders want to hold on to their power or are not um, willing to kind of share their expertise in amplifying um, the things that they could be doing. And I think that's a miss. I think that's a a big miss. Um, I feel that those organizations and leaders are truly successful those individuals at the top are amplifiers, true amplifiers. So those, what I mean by that is they understand their true talent within their organization. They're not intimidated if they have more um, experience or or more talented in one area um, and they uplift them. And at the end of the day, if you think about it, a real leader 
who is able to identify and amplify talent um, is actually able to be more successful in, in his or her job because they are able to um, amplify the effect and impact to the employee, increase their engagement, but also be customer focused or whatever their business driver is. Yeah, I love that. I really love how you speak about, you know, leadership really focusing on people to be able to enable them to do the work that they need to do. That's great. So, you know, looking at your career, you really started at, you know, Rappin, uh, Rappahannock Council Against uh, Sexual Assault, and now you're a principal at Slalom. So how did you get to where you are today? Oh my goodness. Well, I can tell you a story that actually backtracks to when I was a child. Um, when I was probably four or five years old, um, Chinese was actually my first language. And I believe I was walking down a street with my mother. Um, and my mother um, said to me that she thought I was going to be um, difficult ever since this conversation. But I don't think difficult is actually the right word. It's, it's actually finding new paths for myself and others. And it was realized at the age of five. So basically, we were walking down the street. And in Chinese, um, a street is, is the name for a street is Maru. And I think as a five-year-old child, I looked up at my mother and I questioned it because I said, you know, why are we calling this road a horse road without horses being on the road, you know? And she's like, oh, this five-year-old is questioning things and language and everything. And I think I've always took that throughout my entire career. And, and why I mentioned that story is because um, I am a firm believer that if you don't see a path for yourself in a current situation, you know, make your own path. Um, I did that in college when I um, went to the uh, Mary Washington College. Um, I didn't think that they had enough majors and minors that satisfied my appetite. So I actually went through the board and created my own dual majors and I'm still the only person that's graduated with those dual majors to date. Um, same thing with my work environment. Um, you know, if I had a craving to understand a different part of a role or wanted to move to a different part of the organization or go from internal into management consulting, um, I'm constantly redefining what that path looks like um, and, and creating paths. Um, and I, I truly believe that you can be trailblazers in whatever um, way you want. You, as long as you have a goal in mind, you can truly get there. That's awesome. I mean, it really seems like your career really seemed to take off about six years ago when you went into Ogilvy One Worldwide. So at what point did you really learn to lead people first? You know, it was actually being um, a bad leader. Mm -hmm. um, I think being, before I got into Ogilvy, I was running um, an HR department for about five and a half years as their HR business partner. I started in recruiting um, and I, uh, within six months, was asked to run recruiting and then within a year was asked to run HR for an IT and business consulting organization of 400 people globally, um, all of which I didn't have that as my background or studied it in my career. And I think I, I just got a little bit um, too overwhelmed and obsessed with um, titles and moving really quickly in my career and having an assistant at the age of 21 and um, being very power hungry that I actually forgot about the people. And in HR, I was supposed to be the number one advocate for serving the people. Um, and I'm really blessed that I had um, 
a um, woman, Rebecca, that was working for me who just simply couldn't handle it anymore. Couldn't ha handle my ego, couldn't handle um, the way I was treating people. My values seemed to be upside down. And she said something to me and she said, I cannot be working in this environment, you know, uh, with this type of attitude. And that made my jaw drop. You know, I thought, um, success was completely different than the definition of success that I believe is now, because now my success is value driven. Um, and so I would say, you know, what was the pivotal moment was actually my, my failure, which is actually, if you look at it, not a failure because, um, it was a lifetime opportunity to take something and mold it and create it as a gift to, um, really accelerate um, my myself, not just as a businesswoman, but as a whole person, um, to be more empathetic to those employees, to the people around me, and to never, ever, ever again want anyone to ever feel isolated, alone, um, and that they didn't have a voice. And so I took it upon myself to make a change, um, and and with. Out even trying to move forward in my career, I move forward because of my authenticity and my ability to really understand and truly care about people like people and stop focusing on the other things that I previously thought were success drivers. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that I think so many people forget, especially when they get into, you know, positions of authority is they forget about the people that are around them that they need to influence and that they need to actually work with. And I think that's funny too, is, uh, you know, you, you were leading an HR team and it seems like a lot of HR teams nowadays are really focused on right, like risk mitigation for the organization and they forget about the people. So, um, you know, that's something that I think that we really need to work back towards. You, you had mentioned that, you know, you have really become more values driven in your leadership. So I'm curious, what are the values that you hold dear? What are the two, three, maybe four values that are like super important for you? I don't know if I can define it in um, one or two like specific values. It's, um, you know, it's, it's doing the right thing when no one's looking. It's, um, but I can, I can actually better describe it to you in the form of my why. Um, and so, you know, I'm really driven by my why, and I think it's because of having strong values and having these um, experiences that happened to me in the past, and and that that could go all the way down to experiences in high school um, or childhood, where um, there were a couple of personal experiences where I felt like my voice was taken away from me, and um, they were very um, impactful or at that time traumatizing in my life that it made me realize that never again did I want anyone to ever feel like they weren't empowered or they didn't have a voice. And so at, at a very young age, I um, didn't realize, but I started developing a really strong why, which is to uplift and kind of be that um, amplifier of voices specifically for women and underrepresented underrepresented women. Um, I had the opportunity to really be exposed to um, the nuances in terms of gender equality when I was at Ogilvy, um, like you mentioned, um, where uh, the head of diversity and inclusion, Donna Pedro, took me under her wing and um, she gave me the opportunity to lead the Women's Leadership Network at Olgaby, and that was my first time to really be exposed to the inequities out there um, 
And, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, you can't unsee um, that uh, there was a humongous lack of diversity in leadership ranks. You can't unsee the data once the data has been exposed to you. And I just think that um, being able to get access to data um, while blending it with your values and why um, is a very strong formula. Um, to be able to push through things when you feel like you don't have the emotional, um, you're not emotionally equipped to do so. When you're driven by um, something that's much larger than you, I think is where you find um, this power that you never would have thought that you had um, in each and every one of us. Yeah, I mean, finding a purpose and a why to really get behind, right? Not just your own, but also finding an organization that you work with that really aligns with your purpose is something that really drives engagement and and really can increase the positivity in in the employee experience. So I really love that. And I I love how um, that led you to diversity and gender equality. Um, And so going into that topic, you once shared that ultimately the solution to breaking glass ceilings for women starts in the boardroom. And that might be difficult or even, you know, some, some individuals might feel helpless hearing that, right? Women, people of color. So what do you tell those people now that might not have that advocacy up top? So I think that for people that don't have any advocacy, um, the women, I'll give you an example. So I was at a pivotal moment in my career where I was just getting angry and frustrated. Um, this was around the same time that all companies had open space, you know, and clear office spaces where you could see through and see who's in those board meetings and see what they look like and what gender they are, right? And it got me so frustrated that it all seemed to be the same, same age, same race, you know. Um, and I asked myself a question. I said, you know, Melissa, do you want to, you have two choices. Do you want to stay and do something about this? Or do you want to go and work somewhere else where there is more diversity, inclusion, or equity in an organization? And I thought to myself, you know, if I left, who's going to do anything about it? So I made an effort to put a business case together. Um, I transformed that anger into motivation. Um, And... I really focused on data and I put together a business case to showcase the benefits of having more women in executive leadership positions. And at the same time, I will be honest with you, um, I recognize that even if, you know, male leader, um, they all come from a mother, you know, um, obviously, um, whether or not they have daughters or wives, that does not necessarily mean that they are a women advocate or wake up in the morning, stretch and think to themselves like, Gee, how can I help a woman today? So I had to think from an employee engagement perspective and bring in my um, change management perspective, what is their why, what drives them, and what do they care about? You know, And I was able to transform my business case, leveraging data without pointing fingers on the inequities in terms of hiring people in the pipeline, people that were getting promoted without pointing any fingers, without saying any names. I made it about their legacy, their ability to transform their footprint in the organization by increasing the bottom line through diversity. So speaking in their language um, and also leveraging competitive edge. 
you know, many of us came from big four consulting companies and many of these big four consulting companies already had women's sponsorship programs. So do we want to be ahead? Do we want to be side by side or do we want to be behind our competitors? And of course, the answer is never going to be behind. And what I found was, you know, in this room of all um, similar looking stakeholders, I was able to get the buy-in of each and every single one of them um, to agree to a pilot. And now um, the New York market is 50-50 gender equity um, in terms of gender representation in their executive leadership. I'm really, really proud. Um, many of the other markets have seen significant improvement. Um, the women that have been part of this women's sponsorship program have stayed. Um, within our organization and have many of them have grown significantly from promotions to another promotion within their career in the last four years that this program has existed. Um, and now they are paying it forward and being sponsors for future generations of women within the workplace. And so that is a long winded way of answering your question is like, you know, what do you do or what advice? I, I say do something. You have the power to take a look at something and fight for something that you think is right. In my mind, diversity, equity, and inclusion should not just be a job description or an activity that your HR or diversity inclusion um, leader does. It should be done by each and every single person that works in your organization from leadership all the way down to your intern. Uh, we all have the responsibility to do something if we're not okay with something or move the needle in the right place or be an ally to those um, that are not being treated properly within the workplace. I love that. I mean, it's something that a lot of people I think need to hear. And unfortunately, it's something that we have to really fight for. And that's something that you've done. Um, you know, I mean, diversity and inclusion seems so simple, right? It's it seems like such a simple concept. Like, yes, we want more people, uh, you know, people from different backgrounds in our organizations and our teams. Yes, we want to be inclusive, inclusive as an organization. But why is it so hard to implement in real life? I think the reason why it's really hard is because all of us, myself included, we all have unconscious bias. There's a reason why it's called unconscious, because it is seriously unconscious. Um, all of us have these preconceived judgments based on our own experiences. Um, and um, that unfortunately becomes a lens in which you look at things and that's okay. It's unconscious for a reason. We all do it. I think um, what is very, very important about that is to be able to see and catch it when it's occurring and to question yourself in terms of, you know, is this mindset or is this lens in which I'm looking th at things Correct. I think having unconscious bias um, be at the forefront of every conversation that you have is, is um, key to removing um, and, and increasing kind of the feeling of inclusion within the business. Additionally, I don't really believe in um, trainings. I, I, I don't think that investing a couple of thousand dollars a year in one training for unconscious bias is really going to move the, the needle. I think when you need to change behaviors, it needs to be weaved into each and everything that you do, um, not just a training course that you take and get two credits for, 
you need to weave it into your leadership programs. You need to weave it into your performance metrics. How do people get measured upon um, their, their ability to make their teams feel included? you know, or their ability for their team members to feel like they're authentic in everything that they do. How do we weave it into a client service? How do we actually check our clients to make sure that they are making this an inclusive environment for our people? You know, there are multiple ways to be able to do it, um, I think, to move the needle. Um, and the first thing is measurement. If you're not looking for it, if you're not weaving it into the processes, the culture, um, the, the things that you do, um, you're not going to be able to create a place of inclusion. And so if you are very serious about doing this, then I would think about what are those key performance indicators, what are those measurement criteria, and embed it into the actual structure of an organization so they live and breathe inclusion. Yeah, I can't agree more. I, I you know, we all know that this training one and done just does not work for organizations. And that's why, uh, you know, there's some pushback against it. You know, there's some uh, resistance to implementing those trainings, which is the opposite of what we want to do, right? And we really need to weave this into the fabric of the organization, into the culture, like you said. Um, and so, you know, we're so really, really focused, especially in this day and age, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And while that's not going to be an overnight fix, what do you think is the next big focus for leaders? You know, I think with um, the, the global pandemic and COVID and having people work from home, inclusion is actually going to be much more important from an employee engagement perspective, not every single person thrives on being on a Zoom call. Um, not every single person thrives. You know, you have your introverts and you have your extroverts. Not every single person wants to be video ready every single morning of the day um, and every single point of the day. Um, and so I think where where we're going to be focused on is how do we keep up employee engagement in this new digital space where, um, quite frankly, many of us may still work from home eons from now. And, and you know, what historically has worked well for organizations was the implementation of really formal ERGs or BRGs, which stand for employee resource groups or business resource groups, which allowed many times employees to gather together um, that shared either a same race or shared, um, um, you know, our allies for um, a specific demographic group um, to to build relationships across different silos and departments to really be that network um, for individuals to be that educational hub to expose people to um, the history of specific cultures um, the food of specific cultures I think that's all going to change significantly and we're going to have to rethink how do we take um, this and figure out what different channels, you know, to leverage, um, whether or not it is Zoom calls, whether or not it's special care packages, how do we expose our individuals to this learning um, in a way that um, doesn't get desensitized because everybody's on a screen all day. So I think um, there's going to be a shift in terms of how we think about inclusion. I do think that there's going to be more focus on being data oriented. So focusing on what our perceived and real gaps are, you know, what, 
what generations or what demographics of individuals are not feeling inclusive, you know, what area um, isn't being represented, and really having targeted um, focus groups or targeted plans on how to increase that level of engagement in those specific areas. So um, I think because we are going to be leveraging a lot more data and technology, we uh, will find a shift in terms of, you know, leveraging these technologies to fulfill those gaps. Awesome. Yeah, I think that that's so super important. And, and like you said way, you know, earlier is it's really about the metrics. How do you measure these things and using that data to really uh, move the needle forward. Um, and, you know, as you're saying, you know, food, of course, and having these ERGs and really learning about the backgrounds. I mean, that really sparks in my mind, like, you know, how do you, how can we learn about other cultures and other people's backgrounds? And um, I think that that's something that is, there's a huge opportunity moving forward for organizations to share the cultures of others and the uh, experiences of other people within their employee groups. And, um, you know, you had spoken about allyship and allies. And what do you think about the notion that allies are individuals who are actually great leaders? Right. Where, you know, where are some hidden leaders within organizations that companies might be overlooking? Interesting. Um, I think, you know, the idea of allyship goes back to um, people's individual values. Um, the people that don't specifically or necessarily need to be in the spotlight at all times, being like, look at what I'm doing for this group of individuals. Um, and, and the people being I'm humble and have that and exude that aspect of humility. I don't think that they are hidden though, because I, I truly believe that if you have a true ally in your work or personal life, you knew who you you know who those allies are, right? Um, and the the benefits of of having those allies, um, even though they may happen behind the scenes, um, they are realized in its own own way. Um, there are many times where people that do good things for others, um, people, people remember that individual and will talk about that individual. And I think um, without even trying, you know, they may get a recommendation to reach out to another person or help another person. So I think, you know, true allies aren't necessarily hidden. Um, I think the real allies, the ones that are true leaders in organizations, um, you know who they are at the end of the day. Um, it's those people that you will always want to work with um, in future teams. It's those people that when you hear their names, you always say, oh, I've heard amazing and significant things about them. They were able to um, transform their entire workforce uh, with no budget, you know, um, because they were simply being inspired on a day-to-day -day basis. I think if you're looking um, hard enough, you'll hear those stories rampant throughout an organization. And I think what organizations can do um, that truly believe in um, uplifting their true leaders is to take the time and pause to find who those true leaders are, what those stories are, no matter what level these individuals are, and focus on rewards and recognition, which is a change management tactic where you uplift those um, and you showcase and recognize those that exhibit these behaviors that you want to be perpetual within your organization. Yeah, and I, I totally agree, right? Like 
people can be leaders in any parts of the organization. And I think that that's that common misconception that a lot of companies forget is that people are everywhere. Leaders are everywhere and they don't have to have a title to be a leader, right? And so it's, yeah. So you, you brought up change management and a lot of your work in your career has been focused on organizational change management, implementing various strategies, integrations and transformations. And something I really believe is that, you know, people are that most important part of that whole integration or that transformation. And why would you say that people are important to the success of those projects? Oh my gosh. I think that is the biggest mistake of many companies. They forget about their people. If a company wants to get from point A to point B, who do you think is going to get them there? Their people. I think people, it's, it is so obvious to me, you know, um, that it, it flabbergasts me. I, I'm, I'm seriously appalled in organizations that don't get it. Um, you need your people to drive. At the end of the day, we're all human. What does that mean? You know, we, we need basic things like to feel like we're heard, um, to feel supported, to feel safe. That applies in a job as well, you know? And I think if, if people don't understand and, and start focusing on their people and figuring out what their true needs are, um, I read this book, it was by two of the founders of LinkedIn and I thought they had a really good um, understanding of the new way um, that organizations should deal with their workforce. And it basically talks about um, a, a relationship that you have between your um, employer and your employee like uh, a, a round of service, kind of like the army, where you, employers now realize that their employees most likely are not going to stay in this organization for 50 years and just understand that, that this is a new time that many or many people, millennials or younger individuals will work in an organization for two to three years and jump for another opportunity or jump for another opportunity. No longer is this starting to kind of look poorly amongst the individuals. It's, it's starting to be the way that people grow in their careers and it's, it's starting to get accepted. Um, and um, it, it's, they, they, they called it the tour of duty. So I think organizations um, that do it really well, which is to understand that there's a natural kind of contract between, okay, this employee may not want to stay with me for 50 years. Um, he, she or he may have this ultimate goal of maybe running her own business in marketing or something like that. What can I provide as an employer to help her get some of that expertise to get her from that point A to that goal um, that fits within the needs of the organization and then vice versa? You know, what that does is it creates a trust between employer and employee. It creates a realistic understanding in terms of expectations, but it also increases the employee's engagement and really makes this an, a really not just educational, but enjoyable experience for the employees. So I think the concept of tour of duty um, would resonate and be very successful if more organizations took it upon themselves. Yeah, I love that. I mean, what you're kind of describing is really focusing on having a learning culture, right? It's just constantly having a organization develop people, develop people, develop people. And so no matter where they go, whether they stay in the organization or they go elsewhere, they're going to be successful and ready for that next job. 
Um, and that's exactly. And that's something you know. Again, I think that that that's miss that's missing in a lot of companies is they forget that it's not just about the organ. It's not you're not teaching them to go find another job somewhere else. You're still developing them for the role that they're in now and for future roles and opportunities in your own organization. There's this fear that they are constantly, you know, companies have this fear that their employees, if they develop them and grow them, that they're going to find a job somewhere else. But if we live in that fear, that just prevents you as an individual leader or manager from, you know, getting the most out of that employee. Exactly. I love what you just said about that. And I think, you know, to add upon that, um, organizations should also see that the person that's worked for them, even if it's a small or short-term engagement, even if it's two, three months or one to two years, that individual can be a change agent and a marketer for that company years beyond that when they're an employee of that organization. If their experience is a positive experience, they likely will recommend more people to join that organization, even if they don't work there anymore. And I think leaders um, and organizations that get that, that really focus and invest in that employee experience, and like you said, um, creating that uh, culture of learning, that learning culture, um, creating people with that growth mindset, they are the most successful because even beyond their time there, um, it is free marketing, if you think about it, um, to ensure that those employees had a good and solid experience. Yeah, absolutely. You shared an article last year uh, around self-promotion and self-advocacy and how important it is for women. So why is it important and what have you done recently to advocate for yourself? Great question. Um, so first of all, it is very uncomfortable for me personally to self-advocate. I think I'm much better at advocating for everybody else with the exception of myself. <clears throat> One of the things that I learned um, when I worked at Ogilvy & Mather, which is a one of the largest advertising media organizations in the world. You know, you see the investment of time, dollars, hours spent on a campaign, you know, a campaign for a piece of gum, you know, millions of dollars into, you know, how this works for, you know, photography and script and copywriting, everything. So humongous teams on, on advertising this piece of gum, okay? And I realized, oh my goodness, we need to treat ourselves like our own internal advertising campaign because I used to work so hard, um, working 12 to 14 hours a day, being a true you know, consultant at Accenture. You know, that was, that was you know, part of the culture. You work your butt off, um, you don't have any balance, and that was something to be proud of. I don't know what was wrong with my brain at the time. Um, since then, I've had wonderful leaders and managers who have helped me rewire my thinking about, about that. So one of the things that's really important is to be able to, um, you get so stuck into the day-to-day -day grind and the day-to-day -day work that you forget that no one else, sometimes besides yourself and your lack of sleep, know everything you're doing. So I started seeing that many of these people that were most successful in the advertising domain, I was mad at because I didn't see that they did lots of things. They focused a lot of their time on campaigning for themselves, communicating what they've done. So I realized to myself, in order to move forward in an organization, sometimes perception is reality. And not to not do work, um, 
But I think the lesson learned that I took away from that is to carve out time and treat myself like I would treat somebody that I'm mentoring. I would be sticking up for her. I would be, you know, arguing for her case behind the scenes. I would be trying to remove barriers for herself. If I apply the same love as I apply to everybody else on myself, I think your your career actually really helps, um, is helped through that because um, now other people, including your managers and your organizations, understand the value and the impact that you're driving. And that was one of the best lessons learned that I learned the hard way. But I, I'm so grateful that I worked in this advertising company because it taught me this lesson that now I, I invest in. And I will say that, you know, when you invest from yourself, you're not pouring from an empty cup and that helps you be a better person for other people that could use your support as well. That's awesome. Um, you know, and I love how you say that it's important to really kind of love yourself, how you love others, right? When you're mentoring others, giving yourself um, that credit and really promoting yourself. And I love how, you know, you, it, you learn this lesson in an advertising company and really learn about, you know, you really need to advertise yourself as well. So another thing that uh, I really liked is that at Slalom, they don't call it diversity and inclusion. They call it inclusion and diversity, right? So instead of that usual diversity and inclusion, why, why did it happen? Why is inclusion first? And why is it important to make that distinction? I love that question. And I love when people ask me that. Um, the reason why it's the I is before the D is because you can invest all your time and energy on diversity in, in terms of hiring, you know, a percentage of individuals where, um, you know, in a specific demographic. But if you don't have the inclusion piece right, if you get the people here and they don't feel comfortable being here or they don't feel like they have a voice or they don't feel like they're safe or they don't feel like there's other people um, that look like them or, you know, the programs that are in place don't resonate with them then your diversity goes out the door. So with that said, um, our company truly believes inclusion comes first. We have to get the inclusion part right um, before we focus on diversity. It's, it's basically like cleaning your house before inviting people over. Yeah, <laughs> I love that, that's great. Uh, something that I know you like to say is that you really want to focus on the dash between the numbers on your tombstone. So what is the impact that you're working to leave when you lead others? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know specifically what that dash is. I just know that it's going to be a meaningful one. So where that came from was a poem um, about um, a person living their life. And it's the dash on your tombstone between when you're born and when you leave this world that really, really matters. And I don't want this dash to say, partner of this company, you know, and never spent time with her family and was a terrible wife. And, you know, um, I, I want that dash to say, you know, good sister, good daughter, um, made the world a better place, you know, spoke up for women, um, you know, changed the way that organizations worked, changed the way that some leaders um, looked at specific situations, which ended up impacting whole other organizations or whole industries, I want that dash to be meaningful and impactful that is aligned truly with my why. That's awesome. Um, and with that, right, you know, looking at that impact that you want to have and seeing what you can do, what would you like to see leaders do more in order to lead people first? I think 
we need to rewire our brains um, in terms of how society has um, really created this sense of leadership as being more masculine or you know yelling or taking a fist and banging it, up, banging it on a desk. Um, I think that true leadership behaviors um, encompass things like vulnerability. Um, being able to engender empathy. You know, I think vulnerability is actually courageous. I think many times people are so scared to show a little bit of emotion um, or vulnerability because they are fearful that they won't look strong. I think we need to start um, rewarding those types of behaviors. Um, you know, and it could start with, you know, as easy as maternity or parental leave um, processes where um, you're not just giving um, men, you know, two days off uh, to, to help the family. You're actually giving them as much um, as the woman who may be bearing the children um, and, and applauding them for, you know, taking the time and not saying your, your priorities are all messed up. Maybe your priorities are all right, you know, and, and changing that script. I think changing the script in terms of, um, you know, what are really the true behaviors of, of that servant leader um, and, you know, intertwining that, you know, maybe including that in job description. So from a recruiting perspective, maybe um, leveraging words like vulnerability and um, empathy um, into those job descriptions. I think that is, you know, a start in terms of creating a pipeline of, of encouraging people that exhibit those behaviors to join your organization. I think those are a couple of tactful ways, tactical ways to um, transform leadership within companies. Yeah, that's a really good point is we, we tend to forget about the, um, the people skills that are required for leadership and we don't promote them enough and we don't promote this, uh, the side that really, again, it focuses on people, right? Leaders focus on people and we need to make sure that we hire and develop those skills within individuals to take care of their people. So as we wrap up, um, please share with everyone else, you know, where can people connect with you? Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I am on there as um, Melissa Ng Goldner, I believe. If not, Chris, you have my information. Um, I also have a Facebook group um, that is called um, Communication Strategy for women in the workplace. Um, men and women are invited. Uh, basically what I do is I find articles, um, I post the links to the articles, but in be before that I share, you know, one or two tips or le lessons learned that I've, I've taken away from it um, and posted it as a summary. So you still get some added value even if you don't have time to double click and read a whole Harvard Business Review article. Um, so that's another way. And then um, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn messaging as well um, and set up some time to discuss. Awesome. Well, Melissa, thank you again so much for coming onto the Leading People First podcast. It was great having you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. It was so great having Melissa on and hearing about her experience where she really grew these programs, especially around diversity and inclusion. So I'll be sure to link in the show notes her LinkedIn profile as well as her Facebook group. I'm actually a part of that group. It is a fantastic group to be a part of, to really learn and hear about the experiences of others and to learn about the strategies that women can use to communicate in the workplace. 
Again, if you haven't already hit subscribe, please hit subscribe. If you like this episode, make sure you leave us a review and share this episode with someone who really needs to hear it. Thank you again so much. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.